many of you ever heard the name the Great Blundine? Anybody ever heard that name before? The Great Blundine was a famous tightrope tight rope walker in the late 1800s. From 1859 to 1896, he crossed Niagara Falls over 300 times. He was actually one of the first men to actually do it. And it was pretty scandalous at the time because, you know, a lot of people thought it was just really showy and just very dangerous. Well, it is very dangerous. Are you kidding me? He never used a net when he was doing the cross across Niagara Falls. But he was absolutely amazing. He would do this walk. He, he did it blindfolded. Um, at one point, um, doing across the Niagara Falls, he took a chair and set a chair in the middle of the tightrope and sat down. One of his more famous acts is that he actually took a small stove, if you can imagine this, and built a fire in the small stove in the middle of the tightrope, cooked an omelet, and then delivered it to somebody who was going across underneath him in a boat. You can, you can Google it on his Wikipedia page if Wikipedia can be believed. It's absolutely crazy some of the things that he did. One of his, one of his acts was, um, he, uh, he put out a large, um, ad to get as many people he could to this show. And that the, the, the story says, the story goes that the, the, the Canadian side and the American side was just absolutely packed with people. And, um, and he was going to tightrope across blindfolded. And so he did that. He went back and forth blindfolded. And then when he got back to the American side, how many of you believe, he got the crowd really riled up, and he said, how many of you believe that I can go back and across again pushing a wheelbarrow? And man, the audience just went crazy. They just started cheering. We believe, we believe, we believe. And, and so he got his wheelbarrow out and he went about halfway and then he picked it up and turned around and went back to the American side. And people just went crazy. Woo! Celebrating, yelling. And, and he said, how many of you believe I could fill this wheelbarrow up with bricks? And I could go across and back again. How many of you believe? And they're like, we believe, we believe. And they just started cheering. So he took bricks, he filled up the wheelbarrow, and he went halfway across and went back again. The crowd is going crazy. He has them like in a fever pitch, right? I and mean, they're right there with him, yelling and celebrating. And they said, how many of you believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and I could take them across Niagara Falls? And people were screaming, we believe, we believe. And then he looked at them and said, who wants to go first? And everybody just went dead quiet. It's like, no way. Not a single person volunteered. Actually, the story says that what ended up happening is that his manager went across with him, but he didn't get in a wheelbarrow. He actually jumped on his back, and he piggybacked him across Niagara Falls. That day, I think Blondine really discovered something. That there's a difference. Oh, there he is. There's a difference between believing and believing. You can say you believe, but do you really believe? That's the question that we have during this series that we're starting. It's called belief. And the question I have for you this morning is, is what do you believe? What do you believe? Well, about what, Jared? What do I believe about what? Well, what do you believe? What do you believe about this world? You think this world is just a big hot mess? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so let's believe that. But also, but do you also believe that people have the potential to be good, to do amazing things in this world and make a difference? What do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? 
What do you believe about God? What do you believe about... You see, here's the thing about... What do you believe about your faith? You see, what, this series is intended to help you to understand what you believe. Because what you believe becomes your base. becomes your rock. Because when, when life starts happening and the waves start roaring and the rain is pouring and man, it is just really getting going and it feels like life is throwing you curveball after curveball after curveball. It's what you believe that you get to look back on. You say, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. This is what I know. This is what I believe. Jesus asked his disciples this very question. I put the question in your notes. Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who is he? And they replied, well, some say he's John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And so others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said this. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? What do you believe? And Simon Peter answered, he says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. Why is believing so important? I put this in your notes. It's not just to look back on and to hold on to, but what we believe determines what we do. And what we do shapes and determines who we'll become. Many of your kids, teachers, are back at school, right? Go back to school either last week or a couple weeks ago or this week. This is all happening. And if you look at it this way, this is a great example. Your kids are going into a new math class. Maybe it's you know older in high school, it's pre-calculus or, or ge- geometry in junior high or calculus or trig or one of those things that are just really hard and really mind-blowing. And your kid sits down at that desk for the very first day of class and the teacher is showing them things that they're going to be learning. Your kid makes a decision in that moment. Can I do this? And if in that moment they've convinced themselves that there's absolutely no way they're going to figure this out, what happens for the rest of the school year? It makes it hard, right? If they've already convinced themselves, if they already believe that there's no way they're going to get this, what are the odds that they're going to get it? It's not very good. It's like my son. We've, uh, we've started teaching him, or not teaching him, but giving him different foods. So I think this week he had butternut squash. He actually had, I don't know who would invent this concoction, but I think it was zucchini, spinach, and peas mixed together, which sounds absolutely disgusting. And when you first put it in this kid's mouth, there's that moment where he's like, he makes a Jared face. He's like, and then he kind of starts getting into it, right? And my boy is a grunter. And so when he starts eating, he just gets into it. And he's slapping the table. He's like, ah, give me more. And you can just as fast as you can shovel it in his mouth, he will take it down. Now it's harder when kids get older, isn't it? You show them a new food, and they're already convinced, I'm going to hate this. And it's like a battle of wills, of like beat down if you're going to get this kid to take this food into their mouth. Here's the thing, is that they've never tried it before. But they've already convinced themselves in their heads that this is terrible. It's what they believe. How many of you have faced that as parents before? 
It's crazy, isn't it? And you go that argument, but you've never tried it before. But I know I'm going to hate it, but you've never tried it. How do you know? Put it in your mouth. And they, they probably end up hating it just because their heads say they hate it, not because they really don't like the taste of it. Isn't that true? What does it go to? What they believe. It's what they believe. What you believe determines what you do. What you do determines who you become. Look, we're the sum. We're the sum of the choices that we make in life, coupled with God's grace and mercy. We are. And what we believe helps us shape, become who we are, with God's grace and mercy along with it. There's a couple things that I want you to believe during this series, just to start out before we get into our text. There's just a couple things. The first thing I want you to believe is I want you to believe you can change. No matter where you are in life, how old you are or how young you are, I want you to believe you can change. This this old man was at a doctor's appointment, and he was getting towards the end. He just said, Doctor, I really need you to talk. I need to talk to you about my wife. He said, okay. He said, what's going on? He said, I think my wife is losing her hearing. He said, really? He said, well, "Well, I guess we can do a test. He said, do a test tonight. He said, when you get home from the other side of the house, I want you to ask her a question. And then I want you to continue to repeat that question as you get closer and closer to her. And then when she, well, then we'll determine how bad it is and how close you had to get to here. He says, that's a great way to figure it out. So he went home that night. And from the other side of the house, he said, he said, honey, what are we having for dinner? And she was at the stove working on some things and she didn't respond at all. He was like, well, that didn't work. So he got about five or ten feet closer. He said, honey, love of my life, what are we having for dinner? She didn't say a thing. She just continued to work in the kitchen. He got up right behind her. Or actually, yeah, from the other side of the kitchen. What what are we having for dinner tonight? No response. And so he, he literally got right behind his wife and he said, Babe, what are we having for dinner? And he turned her she turned around and she said, Honey, for the fourth time, we're having lasagna. Will you please stop asking me? I thought that would get a bigger joke than that. I don't know. A bigger laugh. But how many of that describes us? I mean, the whole time, my wife was losing her hearing. It was actually him that was losing his hearing. Now, <laughs> Sasha. Oh, ding, ding, ding. Now, we, we have a tendency to think that other people need to change. Sometimes we don't realize that we are the ones that need to change. The truth is, it doesn't matter how old we are in life. There are parts of our lives that we need to change, that we can change. And I want you to believe that. I want you to believe you can. Here's a second thought that I want you to think about and I want you to believe. Is that belief, it's not the absence of doubt. It's a journey towards God's will. I've been a follower of Jesus for quite a while. And I settled a long time ago that I don't have to have all the answers. Because I can't understand everything there is to understand about God. I can't. I, I, I don't understand all of His goodness, but I do know He's good, and I do trust Him to help me to figure out along the way. You see, doubt isn't bad. It's just a part of life. It's natural. It's what we do with our doubt that matters. Does our doubt push us towards God? Or do we allow our doubt to push us away? What do you do with your doubt? Belief is not the absence of it, but it's the journey of, towards God through your doubt. What do you believe? 
What do you believe about God? See, the Bible doesn't try to prove God's existence. It doesn't. The writer of the Bible already assumed that every single person understands and believes that there's a God. It doesn't, I mean, that's why it says from the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's how it starts. It starts with God and it ends with God. He, he's not trying to prove that God exists. It's a given that he does. But the big question is, is who? Who is my God? And who is your God? That's why Joshua, as he was leading the people, the Israelites, from Egypt into the promised land and Exodus throughout, you know, where Moses did most of it, but then as they entered in the promised land, Joshua took over. That's why Joshua asked his people over and over again this question. Because they were, le- they were leaving Egypt as they went into the promised land, right? And Egypt believed in many gods. And so he said, which God are you going to believe in? Are you going to believe in all these gods that we left behind that, that some of your ancestors believed in? Or are you going to believe in the one true God? And as they settled into this promised land, into this new, new place, they were going to be fighting people and they were going to be bumping into cultures that believed in many gods. And so he said, which God are you going to believe in? Are you going to believe in the one true God or are you going to believe in these other gods that, we're, that, that are surrounding us? What do, you, what do you believe? The book of Joshua starts with a challenge from Joshua saying, you choose this day who you're going to serve. And it ends with that same challenge. Actually, put it in your notes, Joshua chapter 24. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom will you serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Studies prove that 74% of Americans, actually there's a disagreement, some studies say it's 74% and some say 92%, but somewhere between 74 and 92% of Americans say they believe in God, which is kind of shocking when you look at the United States that we live in at times. The question is, is what God do they believe in? Whether God in some form or fashion exists doesn't seem to be the question. We believe there's a God. What remains a question is, is which God is the true God? And will we worship and believe in Him? And that's what we're talking about today. Do you believe in God as Lord of your life? That's what Joshua was making the people wrestle with. Is He Lord of your life? We only have a few minutes. We have about 10 minutes left in our service. And there's just four things that I want us to think about along this idea. How do we embrace God as Lord? How do we believe God as Lord of our life? And here's just a few thoughts. The first one is this. Is that it begins with our personal surrender of our will to God's way. It begins with the personal surrender of our will towards God's way. Now, my mom tells me that I was a stubborn child. That's what she says. Now, you can believe that or not. I'm actually not. I don't feel like I am, let's be honest. When I was a kid, my mom just gave up. She said, I love to rip the leaves off of plants. And for like the first like year of my life, she fought me with that. 
she had lots of plants and she said every single one of them I would just go and walk over or crawl over and I would just start ripping them off and and uh, and eventually she just said you know it wasn't I, she can only smack my hand so many times she can only redirect me or give me something else to do so many times to to eventually she just gave up and she just stopped having plants in her house because it wasn't worth the fight my kid is kind of the same way for some reason my son has learned what the direct tv box is all about and the kid loves the blue and red lights that are on the front. And he will walk up to the direct TV box, put his hand on it, and then look up at the TV as he punches buttons on there. And we have some crazy shows recorded on there that I have no clue how they got there other than this boy. And it doesn't matter how many times I redirect him. I'll pick him up and I'll take him to a toy and he'll play with it for about 20 seconds and then he'll crawl beeline right over for that direct TV box and he'll start punching the buttons. And I'll pick him up again and I'll give him something else to do and he'll go right back to it. How many of you have a kid that did that? It was just stubborn. It doesn't matter how many times you gave them something to do. They were going right back to it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a coincidence. But we want to rule our own lives, don't we? There's that part of us that wants to make our own decisions and rule our own life. But if God is Lord, if He is Lord of your life, then His way is the right way. And we surrender to those ways. I don't know where the saying came from. Um, have you ever heard the saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat? That's, I don't know where it came from, but, but it's a saying I heard a lot as a kid. Um, it's kind of weird. <laughs> but if God is Lord, there's only one way. There's not more than one way. It's just His. There's His way to live, and His way is right. And here's the thing about His way, is His way doesn't always make sense. God says some crazy things. He says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to repay evil with good. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. I want you to forgive, whether they have asked for forgiveness or not. I want you to put other people first. I want you to give to God first, first fruits out of what you earn. Give to Him. It's His way. And can I just say His way is the right way? Proverbs 19.3 says this. It says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then are angry at the Lord. They, they do their own thing. And they just mess it up and then they're angry at God. Lordship is about seeking God before we make a mess. God, what's your way? What's your way? Here's a second thought. Is if you want Him to be Lord of your life, to follow God, you have to get to know Him. I know my wife better now than I did when we got married. I know when she's happy most of the time. I know when she's sad. I know when I need to shut my mouth. I know her dreams. I know what she's afraid of. I know what gets her goat and when her goat's been gotten enough that I better quit or I'm in a little bit of trouble. I know those things. And how do I know these things? Because I live with her. Because I love her. And the truth is, is that probably 20 years from now, I'll, years from now, I'll probably know her a little bit better than I do now. Because I listen. And we spend time together. And we talk and we laugh and we watch and we live. And this knowledge that I have about her builds trust. And I hope it builds trust the other way too. What do you know about God? 
And the question is, is how are you getting to know him better? What have you been convinced of about how he feels about you? When I was in college, I read a book called Your God is Too Small. It was a really small book, which is kind of ironic. And this little small book was about how we have views of God that are, that are really distorted. Some of us see God as this judge sitting on a, in a, behind the desk in his throne room. He's got his gavel in his hand. and He's just waiting one day to pronounce judgment upon us all and send some of us to heaven and some of us to hell. And that's all that God exists for. Some people, and he says, if that's your view, your God's too small. He says, some of us view God as a, as a cosmic cop that's just waiting to bust us when we mess up and to write us that ticket and to take us down. He says, if that's, if that's your view of God, your, your God's too small. He says, some of you view God as like a, a retired old man who's sitting in his recliner. And you can get away with just about anything because he's fallen asleep at the wheel and he doesn't really care about this world. And one day he may wake up, but he's not engaged now. And if that's your view of God, your God's too small. How do we gather our view of God? It's by His Word. I reminded you last week. It's by His Word. It's by dusting it off and turning the page and allowing His truth and His heart to sink down deep into yours. That's why I was so excited to celebrate Verity today. How cool is that? You know, her memorizing the books of the Bible. What does that mean? That means she's getting into it. And she's allowing the truth of God to enter into her heart and life. And are you doing the same? Well, Jared, I don't really like to read. Well, that's okay. The scriptures are in audio form too. Right? I'm a slow reader. Well, that's all right. If you're slow, that means you're allowing it to sink in a little bit deeper as you read a little bit slower. It's not how fast we read it but how much it gathers into our hearts that matters. The scripture says, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We dust it off and we place it here in our hearts. And it teaches us about his character and his love and his law and his grace and his mercy. To follow God as Lord, you have to get to know Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 is a beautiful promise. It says, you'll seek me and you find me when you seek me with all your, what? Heart. See, God's not trying to be mysteriously aloof. Scripture says when you seek Him with your heart, He wants to show Himself to you. To follow God, you have to get to know Him. Here's a, here's a third thought. Follow God, you have to be, for Him to be Lord of your life, you need to be ready to deal with the strongholds in your life. Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells a story about this rich young ruler that, that stands before him. He doesn't tell the story, it actually happens. It says, this rich young ruler looks at Jesus and says, Tell me what I must do to enter to have eternal life. What do I have to do? And Jesus begins to list some of the commandments. He says, You must not commit adultery, um, you must not bear burden, um, you shouldn't steal. Uh, you shouldn't cheat anyone. You should honor your father and mother. And the scripture says that this rich young ruler got really excited. He said, man, I've kept all those commands since, since birth. What should I do? But Jesus went to his heart. And he showed him what he really struggled with. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus responds. He says, looking at the man. 
Jesus felt genuine love for him. Let that sink in. I mean, Jesus was showing love to this young man. He says he's showing genuine love. He says, there's one, there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. And what's the scripture say? It says that this, the man's face fell and when he went, he went away sad. Why? Because he had many possessions. It's that wrestling place. Jesus said, let's get to the heart of things. The heart of things is that is that you're, you actually fail the first commandment. The first commandment is not to have any other gods before me, and your money's become your God. Your possessions have become your God. And if you want to follow me, then you need to wrestle with that first and allow me to be your God. So we all have those strongholds in our lives, those things that we hold on to. For some of us, like the rich and ruler, it's our money. It's our money. Our money's become our God. For some, it's our pride. I can't just let go of our pride. For some, it's an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or or lust. For some of us, our stronghold is a pain, a hurt, a scar in our past. And God's saying, I want all those things. No other God before me. I want to be Lord of your life. Will you trust me with that too? From time to time, God reminds me of strongholds that I have in my life. And for me, it's an addiction. It's an addiction to food. It's an addiction when I start feeling down, when I start feeling depressed, when I start feeling unsure. It's the thing that I go to before I go to God. He says, Jared, that's what you have to let go of. You want me to be Lord of your life? I'm going to be Lord of all your life. Will you let go? I'm not done with you. Yeah. See, if you... If you want to believe God is Lord of your life, then you have to be willing to deal with the strongholds that he's going to bring He's going to bring to the surface. Here's one last thing. If you want him to be Lord of your life, then make him Lord out of love, not obligation or fear. We obey for different reasons, don't we? When I was a kid, I obeyed my dad because I knew if I didn't, I'd get the belt. <laughs> my booty would be red. <laughs> And that's the reason I obeyed. I did, I did it because I knew that it... And, and here's the thing. If that's the reason I obeyed, then before I made any kind of decision, I kind of went through that, that little question in my head. Is there any way I'm going to get caught? Because if I'm going to get caught, there's no way I'm going to do it. But if I'm not going to get caught, then I, then I can get away with it. I'm not going to get the belt. I'm not going to get in trouble. And so I, there's no reason for me to be afraid. Right? So it's all about, will I get caught or not? It's fear. It's fear-based. For some of us, we obey out of obligation. Have you ever felt obligated to somebody? And they ask you to do something? And there's that scale in your head, right? Where you think back, okay, what did they do for me? And if I do this, will it meet the obligation? Or if it's too much of a hassle and they didn't really do something that big, then I really don't have to do it, right? The obligation's already been met. I don't have to continue to do it as long as I don't feel obligated anymore. So there's that scale of of weighing it down. But when it's love, when it's love, it's completely different. When we obey out of love, it's... It's not about meeting a requirement. It's not about being found out. There's no limits to love. 
I'll give them everything. I'll do anything. Because I love this person. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you obey what I command. You'll do what I say. Do you love him? Do you know how much he loves you? John 3, 16. Most of us have it memorized, right? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a two-letter word in there that that I love. And it's for God so loved. He so loved that he gave his one and only son. Do you understand that so love that God has for you and for me? See, when we, when he's Lord, when we believe him as Lord, we understand that so love, we obey out of that love. Not any other reason.